Welcome to the Butts and Seats Podcast, episode number 57. 57. I'm Nick, alongside Emily and a little special guest. <laughs> we have a visitor today. I don't know how long he'll last, but our roommate's cat, Oliver, has decided he wants to hang out on my lap while we record. So if Emily's distracted, that's probably why. I have my notes up, and he he just wants to be pet, so he's just rubbing his ha- his face into my hand. And his butt in your face. And my butt, and your butt, and your butt. We're here. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great. I got a cat. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing. I'm just watching. Oh, the cat's gone. Oh, well, that was short-lived. <laughs> oh, this is going to come sit in my lap. We need to invite him on. <laughs> Never works. But to answer your question, I'm I'm doing all right. It's It, it feels almost a little weird to be back in WCW as opposed to uh, our two bonus episodes we just did. Yeah, it's been a minute since we've been in Nitro World. A lot of vastly different vibes. Yes. I will stand by. I'm kind of over ECW right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's the Anarchy Rules was not as good as I wanted it to be, and I think that came across, and I think I explained that in the episode as well. It just kind of lost some of its magic to me, at least in that show. I mean, TV might be different, but that, that WrestleMania was something else. <laughs> well, you have a little while before our next ECW show. We've been doing every other one of their shows, okay. so I forget exactly which one's next. But right now, the only thing standing in our way between us and Vince Russo is this Nitro and then three more. <laughs> Okay, I thought you were going to say this Nitro and nothing else. <laughs> no, there's a few more. But by this Nitro, I am referring to the September 20th, 1999 Monday Nitro live from Cincinnati, Ohio. Woo-hoo. Which, I know they've been in Cincinnati within the past year, because I remember for the outro music, I'm like, what do I do? I'm like, here's a song called Susie Cincinnati. So. Sure. <laughs> that's all I had. Let's chat a little bit about ratings. Last week's Nitro did a 3.3, back to having competition against it. This Nitro did a 3.1. I think that's a too high of a rating. Again, it's not a sign of quality. I know, but I know why are so many to... people watching it? Oh, yeah. The first half of this episode, I will give it to, it is really good. This first half is really good. It does drag pretty significantly towards the end. Apparently, the overrun for this show did an abysmal number, like one of the worst mm. in a long, long while. Yeah. Well, without further ado, you want to get into this episode? I guess we may as well. It's been a little while for both of us actually watching this one, because I was in Montana, then we did the WrestleMania episode, and... And then we just... Work took over our lives, and I've just been exhausted some nights. I work for university, and it's move-in week, and I'm just tired. (laughs) And I spent all of today editing the WrestleMania episode, so... A lot of podcasts and wrestling in our lives right now. Oh, yeah. And not a lot of anything else, really. Well, we open with the recap of last week's Nitro, the Goldberg Sid segment, the Flair and Sting segment, and they leave in Flair doing the not. And I'm like, really? Yeah. You had a week to go, ooh, maybe uh, maybe scrap that. And he went, no, let's let's double down. Oh, well, it's 1999. That's, that's hot right now. Yeah. But also, don't forget this segment, because... The episode won't let you forget this fucking feud. Yeah, there are a lot of recaps. Of this feud. Which, when you're watching this on a plane and you're like, okay, I can just skip ahead like two minutes because I don't need to. uh." That is kind of nice. They also recap a bit of the main event. And then we get that that Sting Slam piece again. Once again, doubling down. You are not allowed to forget that Sting is a bad guy. We get the opening pyro and then Tony and Bobby welcome us both wearing matching uh, WCW Mayhem the video game polos. Not a great look. Do you think we should find a way to play WCW Mayhem? I was thinking about that. I, I'll look into it, see if it's any good or not. But We can find like an emulator or something. Totally legally. I guess that'd be for like N64 if, or maybe. I thought it was for like the PS1. I mean, that's the same era of consoles. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I know very little about that game. I'm sure it's at a pawn shop somewhere. On commentary, Tony announces that Sting will face Hulk Hogan at Halloween Havoc, and then Tony tries to push the Sting propaganda, and I'm like, yeah, aren't you the heel? Shouldn't you be defending him? He kind of, he went back and forth in this episode. Yeah. Bobby doesn't really know what what side he's on in this episode, because Tony dogs on um, DDP later on, too, and I'm like, I I can't tell whose side who's supposed to be on. Well, Tony's against DDP because DDP's a heel. Bobby's just a little more inconsistent because he's the heel commentator, but then still has his favorites and all that jazz. Tony said Bret Hart is not here tonight, and Sting versus Chris Benoit will happen later tonight. Also, Goldberg will wrestle. 
It was like, all right, no no announcement of who he's facing, which means I'm like, oh. I, it's not Sid. Yeah, which means it's like, oh, this is going to be a squash. Yeah. Spoilers. It was. Let's move into our first match of the night. It's a match we've seen before, but. Always a good one, though. It is Juventud Guerrera and Psychosis versus Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio. The filthy animals. I did want to do Who's That Pokemon for Hoovy, but it's such a weird mix of colors and I'm like, I yeah. can't find anything. Who's That Pokemon? It's someone in the Heart Foundation. Well there, well, there was red, pink, silver, and orange. It gave me Heart Foundation vibes. Yeah. It was more black and pink the, than anything. The closest I came was Impidimp. Nope. No idea what that is. Yep, I figured. Kidman overpowers the heels to start, but shows his quickness with a head scissors and then a dropkick. Psychosis hits a front-falling suplex after a Hoovy distraction. Hoovy hits a diving Hurricane Rana without tagging. Oh, okay. <laughs> Hoovy causes Ray to distract the ref so Psychosis can come in and hit one stomp. Just one. It's like, what? It wasn't even like a, ooh, that was a stiff one. Just like, no, just like a, a kick. A kick. Ray tags in and the faces hit a springboard assisted electric chair drop. That's a mouthful. That is. And then a lion salt by Ray. Hoovy hits a, a spinning Samoan drop type move. No real name on that, and I really didn't know what to call it. We get a combo powerbomb guillotine leg drop from the heels. I'm like, damn. Ray tags in Kidman, who hits a top rope crossbody to both heels at once. Ray hits a springboard acai moonsault to Hoovy on the floor. Psychosis goes for a powerbomb on Kidman. Tragic mistake. <laughs> Kidman counters it into a face buster. What? Kidman pulls Psychosis into position for the shooting star press, but Hoovy pushes him off, off the top rope into a dropkick from Psychosis, which gets Psychosis the win. Like, oh, this was a much shorter match than I than I thought it would be. It was short, but oh man, was it good. Not a lot of shine for Ray in this one. No, this was not really a Ray heavy match. It was really more of a Hoovy match. Yeah, which is ironic because post match, Conan and Eddie then attack the heels, and like a big fucking heel, Kidman tries to unmask Psychosis. Yeah, why are, why is he the heel yeah, now? You don't do that. No. That that. That's like rule number one. Like you, you, you have no honor, sir. Dishonor on you. Dishonor on your cow. <laughs> and then suddenly Chavo Guerrero stops him from unmasking him. And it correctly is like, what the fuck are you doing? Chavo comes in like the voice of reason in like in a setting that he came in in a way that I didn't really like. And I didn't really understand. I guess I kind of understood like his whole point in the ring, but him telling all the, the, um, the animals like stop what you're doing what you're doing is bad and then going out with Hoovy and psychosis to a point that we haven't gotten to yet and kind of like trying to take the shine i don't really know i, I didn't really understand what his whole plan was there well at first it seems like this is almost like a heel turn for the filthy animals but then yeah. chavo comes off like a heel so i'm like but chavo started coming off as like a super face yeah like a baby face and then he's like turns out of nowhere yeah it's it's strange because like yeah, filthy animals like to come out and immediately start like attacking the heels, and I'm like, oh, like they won, you know, fair-ish. Ish. So they're going up the ramp, and the crowd is chanting, "Chavo sucks." Psychosis grabs a mic and says something, and Chavo's like, "I can translate." Uh, next week, we're gonna do a mask versus hair match with Psychosis and Kidman. But very clearly, this is not what Psychosis said because you can see him looking at Hoovy, being like, "I didn't fucking say that. What are you talking about? Don't. What is what is he doing?" Yeah. Yeah. Which is, again, really confusing for Chavo's character. Kidman accepts. Psychosis does not seem sold. And then in a face move, Kidman's like, why Why wait? Let's do it right now. Which got me out of my seat. I was like, yes, I want this match right now. Yeah, but the heels say no. So, yeah, yeah this is a very weird dynamic being created, especially because the filthy animals are in a, basically in a feud with the revolution. So I'm like, what, what are you doing here? Yeah. And apparently, um, I told Emily this already, but... Psychosis apparently lost his mask in Mexico over the weekend. Like prior to the show? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... We know the result of the uh, mask versus hair match next week. Still could be a good match. Oh, I'm very excited for it. I honestly think that this kind of a match should always open the show. It is high energy. It is fast paced. It gets the audience hype. And like, yeah, this wasn't the best showing of these four that we've seen. But like, it's it was a good solid match. It started out a little strikey for my taste. But there were high flips. There was it was a good showing. I'm more of the opinion I'd rather this towards the middle of the show to kind of like give me a little pep. Well, they should have more than one team that can do these kinds of matches. Yeah. Or actually care about the cruiserweight division again. Yeah, that'd be nice. More on the cruiserweight division later. After this, we get the nitro opening, and then we get a Sid and Goldberg recap. Nice long clip. Strap in. There's a lot of recaps. 
And then we get our second match tonight. It is Brian Nobbs with Jimmy Hart versus Goldberg. See, I hate this kind of a setup. And I think I've voiced this to you when we are watching stuff before. I hate when they preface a match with a package where the big guy is very clearly wanting a match with a different person. And he comes out and has a squash match with a nothing guy. I, mean, I hate that. To be fair, this has more story than than you'd think because it does but still when he when he's doing a whole promo of like sid i want you i want sid and sid only and they're like oh but you gotta fight brian knobs like that sounds so undercutty you know yeah it's meant to give goldberg a little bit of shine but the, the reason for this match is because goldberg basically killed jerry flynn last week thank god for jimmy hart because i forgot about that yeah <laughs> have you noticed that in jimmy hart's promos he always sounds a little haunted just a little shaky well for funsies last night we did put on the 1992 wwf royal rumble and jimmy hart also had a kind of haunted shaky promo in that yeah (laughs) so some things never change yeah jimmy hart tells an alternate version of events from last week he's like we were minding our own business you viciously attacked jerry Um, flynn no you weren't not really Nobbs then heals in the crowd and actually gets some good heel heat. It, it's it's cheap, but the, it, it's working. Yeah. He then says he's the nastiest man on the planet. Nasty boy. We then get the full Goldberg entrance. Which I feel like, I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like we haven't seen this in a while. The full, like, security detail at the door, guy from production goes and knocks on the door, and, like, he comes out with the full detail. I think we saw it last week, but it, he wasn't in wrestling gear. It was mm. just, like, the match got randomly interrupted. Or the match didn't even start. It just like cut to Goldberg about to come out and he didn't really do the whole entrance. But yeah, they have been occasionally just doing him just walking out as opposed to yeah, the whole hallway. But thing. I like this. This like adds to his character. Makes him sound, makes him feel more dangerous. Goldberg gets in the ring and the match. Wait, no. You have to talk about what he did on the ramp. So Goldberg comes out on the ramp and, you know, he does his standard like suck in the smoke and blow it out sort of thing. He overshot the smoke. He had to do a little skip jump backwards to get into the smoke. Oh. <laughs> he very clearly went too far down the ramp. The The smoke and pyro went and he like kind of did a little hoppy hop backward to get into the smoke. Well, yeah, Goldberg gets in the ring. Match starts off hot and quick. They go to the outside and Nobbs hits Goldberg over the head with a chair. I'm like, DQ? With Brian Nobbs and the Hart Foundation, they did so many No, this is not the Hart form. Foundation. Do not call Oh, them. not. Sorry. Jimmy Hart. There's too many hearts. The man. first family. Right. With Brian Nobbs and the first family sort of stuff, they did so much hardcore matches that when that happens, it doesn't really strike me as <laughs> strike. It doesn't really strike me as something that's immediately DQ'd. I mean, that's probably wrong. It's obviously very wrong, but it it's not like, oh, that was definitely a DQ. Yeah. Or at least just have commentary go, no disqualification match here. Right. As opposed to like, even though like, oh, okay. Yeah. I think it's in the main event. I get the most annoying version of that from commentary, where Tony Giovanni is like, well, you saw it too, fans. Yeah. It's like, okay. Well, just kill all the credibility of the rest. But not only did Brian Nobbs hit him, hit Goldberg with a chair once, he hit him with a chair five times. Oh, yeah. Five headshots with a chair. No DQ. Yeah, he then throws him around ringside. Goldberg throws Nobbs into the ring post, and then the ring steps. Back inside, we get a big boot from Goldberg, and I'm like, that's not one of your moves. No. Jimmy Hart interferes with the megaphone. Goldberg stops him, but Nobbs works him over with the megaphone. Commentary is like, hits him right in the trapezius. <laughs> Nobbs calls for Pity City, but eats a spear, and then Goldberg hits a jackhammer and gets the pin. It's shocking. Of course Goldberg was going to win this. I thought this was a fun match. It was fun, but the premise of it was kind of dumb. I mean, like, I get it that it's like, we will be avenged, but... It didn't need to happen. It was a fine match. I have nothing bad to say about it. I like this one. I think it actually, I think it made both men look good, which is rare for WCW. Yeah. You make a case that Brian Nobbs is cheating, so Goldberg has to overcome that and does. And Brian Nobbs is on offense for extended bits of this match against Goldberg, so it makes him look pretty good. That's true. It does make him look pretty strong. But what comes after the match, I actually liked a lot. Post-match, Goldberg grabs a microphone and calls Sid out again. Goldberg challenges Sid for the U.S. title at Halloween Havoc and says now he's the hunter and Sid is next. I think I'm wrong, but either this week or the week prior to this, he finally acknowledges the streak. It was last week. I am so happy that he finally acknowledged the streak. Maybe I said it on the podcast then too, but... This is the official challenge. Yes, finally. Because we have talked about it on the show where it's like 
Sid can say, you know, he's going for Goldberg's streak all he wants, but until Goldberg acknowledges what's happening, there's no match. There's no reason for this to this conversation to be even happening. Well, Sid is still in the 80s for what it's yeah, worth. Yeah, he's still so. a ways to go. But yeah, we'll hear from Sid later on tonight in terms of a response. The one thing I did hate about this, he says, like, it makes sense once you think about it for more than 30 seconds, but in the, in the heat of the moment, I was upset. Goldberg was like, I want you, Sid, and I want you in five weeks. Like, Jesus Christ, you're going to wait five fucking weeks for this? It's Halloween Havoc, but like, five weeks? Good I, Lord, come I, on. I still don't get why this is a six-week build. Five weeks? I'm not I'm not going to be invested in this in five weeks. Like, that's, that's ten weeks for us. I know. I'm not even going to remember that I even said any of this. Back at commentary, Tony and Bobby chat Sid and throw to a Chris Benoit, Dean Malenko recap clip from last week. We then go to the ring. Mean Gene is there. Brings out Ric Flair. Woo! And it's partial, but we Kinda. do. But we do get a. Hey, There's no woo. It's just no. Yeah. So it's 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 weird. It's a it's kinda. I mean, it's halfway. I'll take it. Flair demands a match with Sting and then reiterates that he's free again. And he's right here for Sting to face. Oh, so you did understand words in this promo. I didn't think it was that hard to understand. He was he was unhinged. He was incoherent to me. I could not make out words. I needed subtitles. And again, going back to the, uh, we watched the, like I said, the 1992 Rumble last night for funsies. Flair came on and he was so well-spoken and so clear. I was like, who is this man? Oh, and if you did not listen to the WrestleMania 24 episode, we talked about Ric Flair's last match on Briefly, there. but we said what we had to say. Yes. Short version, it was sad. Mm-hmm. Chris Benoit interrupts this promo and notes that he and Flair have unsettled business, but Benoit points out that he keeps getting fucked out of his title shot, yeah. so it's like, Rick, you can't face Sting tonight. I literally have the match. Benoit literally says the line, it is my turn. It is my time. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. You're right. He's like, this contract is like three weeks old. Yeah. I want my match. Flair then says the contract doesn't mean anything. I'm like, oh, okay. I think when I say that Flair is unhinged in this promo, I kind of mean the ending of this promo because Benoit comes out and makes this very impassioned plea of like, please stop fucking me over. You're killing me. And Flair's like, that's nice. I'm going to go get Sting now. Bye. Yeah. Benoit tells Flair that it's his time and also notes that the revolution won't be at ringside because he wants to prove himself. Yes. And I'm like, this is very noble. This is good of Benoit. Stupid. Sting. Flair is just like, yeah, fuck you. I'm going to go get Sting now. Yeah. Flair just steps on this and is like, no, nah, I'm going to go find I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find Sting. And he's off. And that's when I was like, I don't know what medication Flair did not take today, but he's on something. Yeah. So just for, for a quick second, on the note of Mean Gene, mm-hmm. could we kind of talk about why is Mean Gene part of all these segments? Well, because they don't have a backstage person. I think it's more that because these are so loose and scripted, Mean Gene's there to try to keep things on track be like, and, and steer the interview where it needs to go. Yeah, but he only does that about 75% of the time. Yeah. And Mean Gene has a new role this week. He has replaced Ricky Rackman. Thank God. Because it's time for the Nitro Girls search. We had a little recap from last week. And then Mean Gene brings out Kimberly and Tigress. I was wondering if you would remember what her name was. Because it's not our girl. No. Uh, apparently the blonde one from last week. I did not remember her, her name. Yes, her name is Ashley Beck. Okay, I think we picked her. I think we did too. I don't remember. I'll have to go back in the notes. Gene introduces Keisha. And uh, Emily, what's her deal? She is a, um, a hip-hop dancer. Which, the segments that they showed of her hip-hop dancing are just painful. It's really hard to watch. But she likes the competitive nature of dancing, which immediately put off alarm bells in my head of, this is not for you, honey. If you want to be competitive, this is not for you. But she's going against Robbie. Well, before we move on, I, I noted that she has her own attitude and vibe. I, That's what she said. I don't know that I would say she has her own attitude and vibe. She has the same attitude and vibe as every other girl that... Calls himself a hip-hop dancer in this casting call. Yeah, and then there's Robbie with an I. And Robbie. my only note for her is she is into performing. I she Something about her screams pageant girl to me. I think it's because in her interview questions, she says that she loves dancing, but she wants to use dancing to be a role model for younger women. So to me, she's the clear winner. And she is, to me, a better dancer, and she does more dancing along the lines of what the Nitro Girls do. And she seems more confident in it. Like... Sorry, Keisha, your dancing was really cringy. Yeah, I, 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 I figured it was a coin toss. I guessed Robbie. 
Oh no, yeah, Robbie is the clear winner to me, especially when she threw in the line of "I want to be a, I want to be a role model. I love women. Women's power. Go girls." No, it's it's ninety nine. That's not allowed. Girl power is. Yeah. Uh, Kimberly plugs next week in Atlanta. But they also noted that Cincinnati was their largest turnout, and they're expecting an even larger turnout in Atlanta. I don't really believe that Cincinnati was the largest turnout. It's just a turnout. Well, it may have also been lack of advertising for the first couple. That's true. Actually, I didn't think about that. Maybe. I imagine next week will be fairly large because they're in Atlanta where, you know, the the company is based. So, higher chance of people. I don't know. Let's move on to our WCW title match. You know. Three matches in, sure. I really wrote, something tells me Benoit isn't winning his first world title halfway through a random Nitro. Oh, yeah. I, um... I anticipate a lot of interference in this match. Yeah, especially after you've announced that Sting will be facing Hulk Hogan. Yeah. It's never a good sign on commentary where they get, where they get confused about what happens if if the challenger wins the title. Yeah, they're like, oh, if uh, Benoit wins, would he face Hogan? That's not on our uh, <laughs> yeah. that's not on our rap sheet. What do we do? Bobby does say that Benoit tipped his hand by promising no revolution at ringside, and I'm like, yeah, that's a good point. I guess kind of, but it's also just more noble and oh, like, yeah. for honor. Before the match starts, Tony notes that next week the main event will be Hulk Hogan, Bret Hart, and Ric Flair on the same team against DDP, Lex Luger, and Sting. And I'm like, holy crap, you're announcing a match for next week? <laughs> what a novel that's concept. Impressive. Well, that's the second one they've announced. True. Yeah. Match starts, Sting dodges an enziguri and then hits a shoulder block. Did you think that Sting was looking real buff in this match? Oh, no, no more so than usual, right? Yeah, he looked a little, little more to me. Well, Sting looks very good in this match because he he dodges several Benoit attacks and then hits a back elbow. Like a lot of this match is just Sting being better than Chris Benoit. Like it kind of makes mm. Benoit not look great. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see it like that. Well, Benoit actually gets frustrated about being out wrestled. I'm like, yeah, that that's rare for you. Benoit hits a Northern Light suplex, but but Sting drop kicks him shortly thereafter. Commentary fully points the White Hummer finger at Sting. Have they not been doing that? I mean, they casually did it in the video package. Like, it could have been him. And the commentary's like, yeah, it was, it was him. Yeah. <laughs> Benoit works over the leg of Sting and then locks in a Deathlock surfboard combination submission and then works over the leg some more. Benoit ties Sting up in a tree of woe and then hits a baseball slide dropkick and then misses a second one. Sting pulls Benoit crotch first twice into the ring post. He works over Benoit and botches some sort of move. I don't really know what he was going for. It was something between like a power bomb, a pile driver, or a pancake. One of the peas. Benoit clotheslines Sting, but Sting is still too fresh and locks in a rest hold. Benoit powers out, but Sting hits him with a knee and then a few elbow drops. Follows that up with a front falling suplex for a two. Benoit counters a knee into a roll up, but Sting puts Benoit right back down. It's like, yeah, the, he is not vertical for a lot mm. of this match. Benoit gets out of another rest hold once again, but Sting just is better. Benoit gets an inside cradle on Sting, but only gets a two. Sting then goes for a top rope splash, but Benoit gets his knees up. Sting misses a stinger splash in the corner, and Benoit goes up top for the diving headbutt, but Sting kicks out. Benoit hits double snap suplexes and then locks in a crossface, but Sting gets to the ropes. Benoit locks in a sleeper, but Sting pushes him into the ref. I'm really like, okay. Oh, refs are glass. Benoit hits a pile driver and gets the visual pin, but the referee is out. Benoit hits a bridging German suplex, still no ref, and gets another non-pin, but Lex Luger comes out with a baseball bat and, hey, hit, I was right. and hits Benoit in the ribs. Sting pins Benoit as Ric Flair runs out. You, you barely see the actual pinfall. Yep. And you know who else doesn't see the pinfall? The fucking bell ringer. No. Oh, I missed it. The bell didn't ring. Bell did not ring. Flair fights off Luger, but DDP suddenly appears and hits a diamond cutter on Flair. Hogan makes the save by coming out and the heels just bail. Yeah, the 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 Ric Flair coming out kind of killed the end of this match uh-huh. a little bit. I hate I hate this like dog pile interference sort of thing that they do. I it's so annoying. Yeah. Thoughts on the match as a whole? It was fine. It felt pretty standard to me for like a Sting Benoit match. I'm not into submission moves. I'm not into wrestlers who use a lot of submission holds in their in their match set. So it was fine. I can acknowledge that it was a good match, but not my favorite. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good match. But like, like I was saying, and you kind of hear from that, like it didn't elevate Benoit to where you're like, 
Oh yeah, like like I mean, I guess they gave him the two visual pin pinfalls, but minus those, it didn't feel like Benoit really had any sort of chance of winning. Gee, I wonder why he leaves the company. Yeah, this this seems like they seem like they were obligated to do it after uh, after doing that whole tournament. Oh yeah, and that's kind of it. As you can tell, it being the third match on the, on the show. Yeah, this match was not something that was supposed to keep people's attention. However, that being said, I'm I am thoroughly impressed with this show up to this point. This is like probably the one hour mark into the actual day of show. It's a really good first hour. Yeah, like I'm very impressed with it. Well, let's bring that down a little bit. Well, our now ne- it's hour two. Now people are switching over to Raw. Our next match <laughs> is Scott Armstrong versus Berlin with The Wall. No Uda. No Uda. Every- I know his name is The Wall, but every time you say it, I'm like, what a fucking name. God. Early on the crowd chants Alex at Berlin. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Berlin mostly works over Armstrong, including a backbreaker. Do you agree that this really minimized Berlin's character by putting him against Scott Armstrong? Yeah, and giving Armstrong some offense. This like this goes longer than what it should. What this needed to be was Scott Armstrong getting destroyed in less than a minute. Yeah. That would have been enough to like put Berlin over a little bit more. Yeah, we get a back suplex to Armstrong, and then he drops Armstrong on the ropes, drop kicks him to the floor. The ref stops the wall from punching Armstrong, and I'm like, do you know how quick it actually is to punch somebody? Why are you, like, winding up for six minutes? Why, yeah, you wanna... <laughs> Berlin works over Armstrong until Berlin dives onto the ropes and Armstrong gets some offense. Berlin hits a European uppercut, distracts the ref for the wall to hit his punch. Berlin then hits his neckbreaker and gets the win. Post-match, Berlin locks in a hold on Armstrong. Didn't really... It's like a chin lock, kind of. And then Brad Armstrong comes out to save his brother. And I'm like, oh. That... What a sad feud this is. Yeah, like, that's your feud now. This is sad. This was uninteresting. And Berlin's offense just isn't fun enough to watch him do squash matches. Berlin, much like the wall, has fallen. Moving on. <laughs> I'm sticking with that. We go to earlier today, the ICP and Vampiro arriving. And Shaggy Tudo apparently has a cruiserweight title sh- match. Tell me why. Violent J thinks he should get the cruiserweight title match. And Tell Vamp- me why. Vampiro's like, you're, you're not a cruiserweight, bud. Did you catch Vampiro's line to Shaggy Tudo? No. If you're slamming him and you feel something funny, just, you know, don't worry about it. Implying that Lenny is going to get a boner in the match. Oh, my God. I know I did not catch that. Good Lord. Yeah. We'll get that match later. Unfortunately. Cannot confirm if there were any boners. Oh, you weren't looking? <laughs> no, <laughs> really enough. So they go... In case you forgot, we're going to get the Flair Sting recap package again. Oh, I was going to say, before, before that, I usually don't note these like sweeping crowd shots, but there was a large number of distressed-looking women in this crowd shot. Oh, no. Yeah, if you go back, it's just like... like Is everything okay? Yeah, just a lot of women don't look happy to be there with people they're there with. I'm like, okay. Oh, no. Yeah, then we get another recap, and then we get a Mean Gene interview with DDP. DDP says that no one has done more for professional wrestling than him, and he's done more for professional wrestling than Pete Rose has ever done for baseball. Which oh, you're gets, way out of line. Which gets massive heat. And I'm yeah. like, I guess I didn't realize he's still that loved. Even from Mean Gene. Mean Gene was like, you can't say that. You're out of line. But when he comes out and he starts the whole promo, he does like, you love me, you hate me. Tony Schiavone on commentary goes, e- yes, I do. <laughs> DDP heals in the crowd, stirs them up. And he calls, he calls Cincinnati and Ric Flair both pathetic. And he's talking to Ric Flair. He's like, you you just won't go. Mm. And I'm like, you have no idea, buddy. DDP, talk to me in 2022, man. DDP, you showed up on that show. You clearly don't feel that you strongly. You were there. DDP says that Flair ain't the man anymore and, nope. that, and that woo is history. Unfortunately, it's not. He then closed the promo by, by promising to take Ric Flair to Bangtown. Like, all right. Are we going to ride Space Mountain, too? You guys in your uh, metaphors here. Look, we can all acknowledge, especially 90s wrestling is a lot more homoerotic than than they mean it to be. Oh my god, yeah. A lot lot of talk to asses and being inside asses. I'm an ass man. Yeah, this I guess just meant to set up the main event a little bit more. Yeah. Then get a Halloween Havoc ad, and then commentary hypes up next week's main event some more. I'm like, Jesus, you're really pushing it. While commentary is talking, did you notice that the audio cut kind of strangely? Oh, it was a very abrupt cut. Yeah. yeah. Why did that happen? Yeah, I noticed that really abrupt cut too. 
everything I looked up was just like, okay, there was like a recap of like the Saturn and Eddie Guerrero match, but like nothing weird. Yeah, I don't know. Very weird because it was very obvious. Yeah, uh, and that cut leads into our next match, which is Blitzkrieg versus Evan Courageous. And my first thought was, Sid? Well, it's never a good sign when they start using this match to talk about the logistics for upcoming shows and ticketing. And like, that's yeah. always when you can tell that nobody gives a shit about this match. And lately, when no one gives a shit about the match, yeah, Sid. Well, in an important note, the winner of this match will get a Cruiserweight title shot on Thunder. And I'm like, I feel like that should be the other way around. You earn the shot on Thunder, and then you get the match on Nitro. The fact that they're putting the match on Thunder just screams volumes about how much they care about the Cruiserweight division. Yeah, the match starts slow until a power slam from Courageous, and then we get a quick press slam. Spinning back knee from Blitzkrieg, and he tries to get the crowd going, but they just don't. They start doing boring chants. Oh, yeah. Um, I thought that was pretty unwarranted. I, I agree with you. That seemed out of... Out of nowhere, out of line. You're out of line. Miscommunication from the two as Blitzkrieg does a moonsault dodge and then just kind of stands there wobbly. Like, what were you going for? <laughs> Courageous hits a springboard dive to the floor. Back inside, Blitzkrieg uses the ref as a shield and then hits a clothesline and a handspring back elbow. Corkscrew moonsault from Blitzkrieg misses. Courageous goes up top. Blitzkrieg stops him and tries for a top rope Frankensteiner, but Courageous avoids it. And hits a top rope crossbody to boring chance. And then everyone looks up the ramp. It's said. if you didn't see it coming, you clearly have not been watching this show or listening to our podcast. Before Sid can get there, Courageous hits a, a, a corkscrew splash, kind of flaily looking. Blitzkrieg kicks out of this, but it counts anyway. I think it was because, oh shit, we, we have you doing this match on Thunder. We need to have you actually win. Yeah. We can't just have Sid come break up the match. No, he actually does get a win. Even though Blitzkrieg does kick out. Like, you go back and watch it. It's like, no, his shoulder's up. That's what I thought. But they counted it, so. No, no one cares. Well, yeah. Sid comes in, beats down both men. We get a choke slam to Courageous. And then Blitzkrieg tr- tries to dive onto Sid. Sid catches him in the powerbomb position and hits a big powerbomb. Oh, yeah. Sid pins Blitzkrieg to go to 85-0 and 0 and then grabs a mic. He prompts the crowd to chant Goldberg and then shouts about Goldberg's promo and he says he does whatever the hell he wants to. He, he calls Halloween Havoc the scariest night of the world. Pardon? <laughs> he said he's going to give Goldberg what he thinks he wants. But also tells Goldberg that Goldberg can't come within 10 feet of him and has to do everything he says or the match is off. That's not how matches work. Post promo, he powerbombs Courageous and pins him as they're going to commercial. So now he's 86 and 0? I guess. Because yeah, they didn't, they didn't put up the sign for the, the other one. Oh hey, yeah, it was that commercial. I, I, who knows what the hell they did during then. This was a fine match. N- not did not, not, not warrant the boring chance. No, it didn't warrant that. There wasn't a lot to get invested into, no, but which is not a bad thing. Yeah, not not boring. No, Unin- more uninspired. Than... Uninspired, underwhelming, sure, but like not boring. Back from commercial, we get a revolution hype video. And then we get a rematch from last week. We get Perry Saturn with Shane Douglas and Dean Malenko versus Eddie Guerrero with Rey Mysterio, Conan, and Billy Kidman. The two go nose-to-nose to to start, and the pace starts real quick. Yes, it does. But whenever they go nose-to-nose, they just go, no keys. Perry Saturn hits a press slam. Eddie then hits a head scissors and then a -a tilt-a-whirl backbreaker. In something we need to look into, why the fuck this keeps coming up? Eddie Guerrero's mother's chili gets mentioned again by Bobby. Oh, I didn't catch it this week. Like, what is... Is there a story behind this that I'm not aware of? Did his mom bring chili once and Bobby locked on it? Was it good? Yeah, Eddie just really wants his his mom to bring it again. Eddie gets thrown to the floor and Shane Douglas rolls him back inside. We get a rest hold through the commercial where, like, it's almost like a matching shot when they come back. I'm like, really? You guys didn't do anything? I mean... They might have just stayed in the hold, yeah. That's what commentary more or less said they did. As a, as a spectator, I would be so annoyed by that. For a hot second with Raw, they just, during commercials, they would literally fully stop wrestling. Not even like, ooh, rest hold. They'd be like, nope, all right, break it up. Oh my god, what a what a kill to the pace. Uh, not to be confused with the time where, because of commercial breaks, everything was a two out of three falls match. What? It was incredibly stupid. Eddie counters a press slam with an arm drag and hits some 
awful looking kicks, but then it makes up for it with the springboard tor- tornado DDT. Like, Eddie, what are you doing? Oh, okay. Yeah, well. I can't stay mad at you. <laughs> you know I could never stay mad at Eddie. Eddie runs up the ropes and dives back for Hurricane Rana. Then get an overhead belly-to-belly suplex from Saturn and a big diving elbow drop for a two. Saturn signals for the Death Valley driver, but Eddie rolls through. Top rope Frankensteiner from Eddie and signals for the frog splash, but Perry Saturn moves and then accidentally dumps himself onto the floor. Conan throws him back in to no reaction from the ref, who is looking right at him. Yep. Saturn goes back outside to push Conan, and the two groups get in each other's faces. Inside the ring, Shane Douglas punches Eddie in the back of the head with a chain wrapped around his fist and tells Perry Saturn to cover him, but Perry is not happy about it. Saturn eventually does get the pin and the revolution bail. But, but yeah. the whole way up the ramp, Perry's like, why did you do that? You shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Shane's like, we got the win. It's fine. Enjoy it. Drop Shane Douglas. Drop him right now. Drop him like it's hot. He's bad for you. He's bad for this team. Get him off of my television. This was a good match. And it I, was. I did like the finish of... It was really good storytelling. Yeah, of like, Perry said, I'm like, no, like, like, I respect this guy. I don't want to win like that. Right. It was really good storytelling. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, cool. Like, actual clever, you know, mm-hmm. interference finish and not just, okay, we need a way out of this. Intentional yeah. finish. It was intentional. But it just makes me dislike Shane Douglas so much more. I'm like, just get rid of him. He doesn't belong in the revolution. And the fact that he came in and decided that all of the promos for the revolution are his promos, like, you're done. You're kicked away from our, our lunch table. You're not allowed to sit with us anymore. Yeah, it seems like they're headed that direction. Good. Especially because everyone's about to leave. They still got like three months. Yeah. Still. Speaking of someone who does all the talking, Mean Gene's inter- next interview is with Hulk Hogan. Oh my God. Gene calls Hogan the real people's champion and then asks Hogan about Halloween Havoc. Hogan says he's going to kick Sting's ass. Then Hogan notes that Sting hit strike three tonight, brother. And there were like priorities. I'm like, he, he, he didn't hit strike three until tonight? Well, he he went through all of the uh, the strikes. Yeah, but it still was like, okay. I mean, I guess, I guess you literally, if you really want to give him three chances, but like yeah. there was a slam piece about him before strike two. <laughs> but there, when he was going through the strikes, he was like, strike one, you hit me with a bat. That's not too cool. <laughs> okay, Hogan. Well, it was also vague whether or not he was talking about Sting or Luger for a oh, little I bit. Oh, I know. Because I don't remember Sting hitting him with the bat. But Luger's no, had Sting the bat. did. Luger has been so like hands on with the bat lately that I, I was confused by that. Yeah, because he talks about Luger like really shattering Brett's face, and I'm like, all right. But yeah, so the bat was strike one, and then he hit Brett and Rick, and that's strike two and three. Or I thought it was also uh, Benoit. I, I guess he didn't, I don't remember if Benoit even got a mention. No, he didn't. It was just those three. So you hear this salty little line that uh, Hogan drops about Brett. You know, Brett's been shooting everywhere. You know, in like in, like radio and in the newspapers. No, I did not. Yeah. What is that in reference to? He's he's just been doing interviews about being back, writing about wrestling, and kind of like I don't even really know if I have a place in wrestling anymore, and you know, just being honest. And Hogan's like, "Oh, brother, you're shooting." Why he, don't you just be a person. Well, he also bad. says that he can't believe he, Hart, and Flair are all on the same page, and I'm like, "Yeah, same." Neither can anybody. But there's not really much a note from this promo. Nope. This was entirely skippable. He just, he just talks. Yeah. He's Hogan. He just talks. He loves the sound of his own voice, brother. Yeah, and again, we have like five weeks. Five weeks. I mean, we have next week for this, like this main big feud, but five fucking weeks of builds. They leave that segment with a clip of the ICP versus Lenny and Lodi from last week. <sighs> and then we get our cruiserweight title match. It's Shaggy Tudo versus Lenny Lane. The ICP and Vampiro come out with signs and I'm like, is this meant to be a parody of Lodi? I, I, that's how I read it. Lodi had a great fucking sign, though. Oh, what? The everyone has a blow pop? No, ICP wears makeup because they're ugly. Oh, I did not see that. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's a good one. Every now and again, he has a good sign. The bell rings and Lenny immediately brings Lodi into the ring. Like, I thought that they had a, um, a blow pop sponsorship, if I'm honest. Because they come down the ramp. Sorry to jump backward. They come down the ramp, you know, sucking on blow pops. And they, like, tag-team the sentence, everybody needs a blow pop. I'm like, are you guys sponsored? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they definitely hit the blow pop thing harder this week than oh, previous yeah. weeks. 
But yeah, so Lodi's in the ring immediately, and then the quote-unquote fan gets in the ring. Lodi decks him, and then he gets handcuffed and throws a tantrum on the way to the back. He apparently mentioned something about his brother. So that got my brain thinking. Is this a setup for a debut for someone to go against Lenny and Lodi? Does this character have a brother that debuts soon? Uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll chat about that at the end of the match. Lenny jumps into the ref's arms early on, and the ref just drops him. Shaggy drop kicks Lenny into Lodi and then hits a power slam. He then misses a diving leg drop, and Lenny hits a gut wrench sit out power bomb, and then scoop slams Shaggy, and then does the um, the homoerotic mounting pin. Mm-hmm. Shaggy hits a bulldog to ICP chance, and then hits a sunset flip running power bomb. And I'm like, okay. I swear I caught Shaggy calling moves. Oh in the ring. Jesus Christ! Fucking yeah. Me. Okay, good. Shaggy to Cena over here. <laughs> Fucking Christ. And I think Lenny was also not great. I, oh, no. Yeah. They were both calling it. Lodi pulls Shaggy off the apron right in front of the ref. Again, it's like, okay, sure. It's fine. In the weird finish, Shaggy rolls up Lenny, who kicks out. This seems to propel Shaggy into Lodi, who's standing on the apron. And I guess it's meant to be Shaggy's head hits the title belt. Because... Yes. Lenny just pins him, like not even like, oh, like you, you know, use the tights, use the ropes, whatever, and Lenny retains. Yeah, that's that's how I read it. He like knocked himself out on the belt. Meh. Oh God, yeah, yeah. this had nothing to. This is nothing. So the ICP um, will be gone for about a year after this match. Really? That's the last one they have. Yeah. Poor guys. I, no, doesn't seem like any real reason. Maybe just kind of creative, or they got to go on tour or whatever. But Maybe. that's that's it for them for a while. They popped up on my YouTube feed recently. Yeah. Yeah. A YouTuber who was very, like, publicly going through a cancellation, his last video before he got canceled was, like, meeting up with the ICP and asking them how magnets work. This is so weird. Well, speaking of getting canceled, Emily, can I tell you some good news? Oh, please. This is the last appearance of Lenny and Lodi in this gimmick. Really? This is it. Huh. Oh, at least for us. I mean, he'll he'll defend it on he'll defend the title on Thunder. But do they re-debut with a different gimmick? Yes. Interesting. Good. Yeah, this is the end of the uh, the the gay baiting. You know what's funny? I didn't even think about this until I was reading up a little bit. This is meant to be their version of the ambiguously gay duo mm. from SNL. You know, I don't know this era of SNL very well. But Glad, you know, is protesting and being like, oh. you are actively encouraging people to basically attack gay people. Oh, I think you did say that Glad had something to, to say about these two. Yeah. I remember you bringing this up before. Yeah, Good. So, Good. So, I'm glad they're listening. So I don't think he even actually loses the title. I think they just say he lost it at a house show. Jesus. Um, Cruiserweights. Yeah. In two weeks, Psychosis will suddenly be the Cruiserweight champion. With no explanation. Great. But yeah, this is the end of the Lenny and Lodi. This is the end of this gimmick, and I am... Oh, I'm thrilled. Yeah, I'm very happy. Oh my god. <sighs> it's... Because they never, like, outright came out and said that they were gay, it's just been very baity, and it's kind of gross. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't mind having openly gay characters. That's great. Like, if you want to do it, but make them openly gay. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, no, we're just brothers who love glitter, and we like to say that we'll go down when someone's in town. Like, also, come on. Also, being gay isn't a character. Exactly. It's, That's it's, also true. It's, 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 a good it's, a, it's an element. Like, it, Sonya Deville. She just looks damn good in a pantsuit. <laughs> She's gay, and her gimmick for a while was wearing a jacket, and it fucking worked. Oh, my God, yeah. But she also, she I did love that she did the thing where she would keep, like, a rainbow pocket square or yeah. something in her back pocket that was like the rainbow flag. It's subtle. Yeah. But it's not her entire character. You're telling me Lenny and Lodi wasn't subtle? It wasn't her entire character. Sonya Deville had other characteristics as opposed to just being, I'm a lesbian. Like, Lenny and Lodi are not even outwardly, openly gay characters. But their whole thing is, I'm gay and that's all there is to know about me. So I'm trying to think of any other times where, like, Glad has actually stepped in and been like, hey, can you fucking stop this? And it's this. Uh, the Rock got in. They, they got mad at The Rock around like 2011, 2012 for all of the John Cena stuff he was mm. doing. And then 
they got tricked into being on board for the Billy and Chuck stuff. I think that the Billy and Chuck stuff is a worse depiction of um, gay culture and wrestling. I think that this is really damaging to the outward image, but because they because Lanny and Lodi were never outwardly gay, Billy and Chuck is worse. No. I, I'm literally just thinking about this off the top of my head. This is really bad for the image of gay culture in this time, especially because there was already such a stigma around it. But the fact that Billy and Chuck... Their, their character was that these two men fell in love and they were going to get married. Well, it was actually two men who are who who are looking for more opportunities and attention are faking being gay. But th- but it wasn't it wasn't presented like that until it was the rug was pulled out. That's what's bad. They perpetuated the idea of they were gay for attention, and that is a horrible stereotype for a lot of the gay community. I need to say this out loud though. Neither of us are gay. We cannot be the mouthpiece for this community. I can just point it out when I think that it's wrong. Yell at me if I'm wrong. The fucking pop when Billy Gunn says, we're not gay. It's just... That was awful. It haunts me a little bit. It was awful. (sighs) But that one I think is worse because they were applauding them so much. Like, they're in love. They're going to have this wedding. It's so beautiful. Love is love. Great. We're not gay. Like, fuck you, man. I think the problem is that gimmick worked until they actually were like, oh, yeah, we're gay. Like, it was just two homoerotic bros, and it was just like, I don't know, it was better written or what? It was better written. I'll give you that. It just jumped the shark. It did. Like, it was better comedy. Yes. It was better produced content. Lenny and Lodi was just homoeroticism to make fun of the gay community. And it was just lazy. It was lazy. And it didn't have any kind of, like, positive spin on it. It was just mean. It was just a bad characterization. Well, I don't know when we'll see them next, but you may laugh at what their next gimmick is. Because it ties in a little bit to uh, them having to leave. Do they come out as Nazis? No. Oh, Jesus Christ, no. (laughs) Not Nazis, but they will have a lot of opinions on things going on on television. Oh, Jesus can't wait we move on from that to a nitro girls video package which i thought was going to be them like hyping up the the search and it's like nope just here's the nitro oh, girls. oh no yeah it has nothing to do with the search and then we get mean gene interviewing rick steiner mean gene is all over this damn show mean gene it brings him out with the phrase he brings new meaning to the word bite me <laughs> it's not a it's not a word gene that's a phrase gene asks rick about his brother it, they're doing a weird thing in the first half of this where they are like, like, you got a lot of singles opportunities, but your brother, but singles opportunities, but your brother. Like, right. It's like, are you happy for me or what? Rick says he fears no man because he is the man and he respects two men, Sid because he's going to beat up Goldberg and his brother and then brings out a returning Scott Steiner. The big bad booty daddy. Jesus Christ. His arms are disgusting. My buddy. Yeah, they are. They're bigger somehow. Well- Scott also notes that he's back and he's been trying back to in black. He's been trying to break a certain record. God. And let's just play that for you. Well, me, Gene, it's really none of your business what I've been doing. The genetic freak is here. The man with the largest arms in the world is back. And I need to ask you a question. Have you ever seen an arm bigger than that before? That's a big one. You know, Mean Gene, I was watching SportsCenter the other night, and they were talking about people breaking records. Mark McGuire hitting home runs, Sammy Sosa hitting home runs, but I've been chasing a record on my own. I've been chasing the record of the Big Dipper. I've been chasing the record of Will Chamberlain, who has claimed he has laid down 20,000 women. You're chasing that record? And the rate that I've been going come January, I'll meet that milestone. So what I need to know is, any of you freaks out there want to help me break that record, meet me in the back. Any of you hooches out there want to let me push the big pony into the middle of the night and scream until you call me the big bad booty daddy, meet me in the back. Because all my freaks know there's nothing finer than Scott Steiner. And nobody pushes it better than the Big Papa. So this goes to all my freaks out there 
big Papa Pop is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. 20,000 women. I'm disgusted. I think we did the math. That's like 58 a day. Jesus. No, you said something like if he... If he were to have sex with one woman every half hour, he still would be, you know, he still wouldn't make the record. Yeah. he, And, that, and that's not sleeping. No. Not sleeping, not eating. Well. Okay. No. No, he's not let's, eating. Let's be real. Let's let's say for a minute that Scott achieves his goal and has sex with 20,000 women in one Get year. Get that man an STD test. Well, Stat. I was going to say, how, how many female orgasms do you think are a part of that? Zero. <laughs> Do you think that he ever gets off of his back? Do you think that he ever does anything for the woman? No. The woman's on top doing all the work. She never has a moment. It's just, it's all for him. God, no. I guarantee you he's not good in bed. What if they did it in the back of a Shoney's? <laughs> so I have a new headcanon for, um, for Scott Steiner. All right, go on. I think Scott Steiner has only have, ever had sex with one woman and he is like eternally faithful to this one woman and he worships her and he has built up his character to be the entire opposite of who he is. That's my headcanon. Okay. Or he's celibate and is like waiting for marriage. Well, I can tell you one thing that um, Scott Steiner doesn't do. Hmm. Watch the show. He says when he left, he was the leader of the NWO, and it took him until last week to notice that Hogan was no longer part of the NWO. Yeah, but the NWO has been dead for, like, months. Yeah. Months. <laughs> Were you expecting to see Kevin Nash backstage? Like, did you come in your black and white? Like, what are you doing? He's still not back. <laughs> Although, he's back soon. We saw it. We got that spelled yeah. for us by the thumbnails. Fucking peacock. Steiner says that Hogan can take his vitamins and say his prayers, but at the end of the day, he'll be kissing Steiner's ass. Steiner says he's coming for Hogan, and hell is coming with him. I honestly have no idea if this goes anywhere, but... I want to make a really gross joke. Go ahead. He's coming for Hogan. He has 20,000 women to lay down. He doesn't have any to give away. You proud of yourself? No! It was kind of nice to see Scott Steiner back. <sighs> he... He's just kind of... It's funny he, to he... see him. He's such a character. His promos are a guilty pleasure. Yes. My... And like coming back in immediately with the I'm the best at sex and I'm I like know. I'm like never I would say never change, but I Please know but I know he doesn't, so I don't even need to say it. God, I wish that Shoney's was still around. It makes me sad every day. Let's move on. It's our second to last match of the night. It is Canyon versus Booker T with Stevie Ray. And the return of Surge Watch. <laughs> yeah, Canyon. Holy shit, man. And Canyon clearly is excited because he fucking chugs this bottle he of Surge. Chugs the Surge. We're going to get a cramp. <laughs> However, as much as I love these two, it is starting to feel like the WCW version of Kofi Kingston versus Dolph Ziggler, mm. where it's just like, oh, we'll just throw this on. It'll be good. Kill some time. Yeah, because it's not a bad match. The only thing I don't like about this match, Canyon cut his hair. A little bit. I don't like it. Canyon raises the roof early on and eats a drop kick. He then bells to the floor and Stevie Ray stink eyes him. Booker hits a flying forearm and then a big kick. On the outside, Booker gets thrown into the barricade and Canyon hits a second rope suplex to Booker on the apron. A nice little spot. I think Cesaro did that for a hot minute. Yeah. Realizing how much those two probably have in common. Cesaro and Canyon? Yeah. That would have been a great match. I would have loved to see that. Canyon follows up that suplex with a falling top rope famouser. Booker then hits a urinagi, which eventually becomes the bookend, but they don't call mm. it. It's kind of interesting to see a lot of stuff that becomes a lot more prominent in Booker's arsenal being used yeah. early on and just not being like, a thing. He does the spinner-rooney at he, some point in this, but he doesn't. it's not called the spinner-rooney. He, he does the scissor kick, too, and yeah. that becomes his finisher. After the bookend, we get the Harlem sidekick, the scissor kick, and then a spinner-rooney. Yeah. Booker goes up top for the missile drop kick, but gets crotched. Booker fights off Canyon and then hits a long-distance missile dropkick. He was way across the ring. Mm -hmm. And gets the pin. This was good, but just unmemorable. Let it be known, when this match started, there was 14 minutes left in the file of this episode. Yeah. 14 minutes, and this is not the main event. I, I love and hate when that happens. But yeah, this, this match didn't have a lot to it. It was fine. It was good. Not much else to say. Yeah, no Bam Bam out with him, so I'm just like, are you like yeah, slowly dissolving the triad? They didn't mention the triad this episode. I don't think they they mentioned it last episode. I think they are dissolving the triad. I don't know. Commentary made note of the triad at one point. Maybe not in this episode, maybe the episode prior, but commentary brought it up, but they haven't brought it up. And the fact that DDP's off doing his own thing recently, too. I think they might be dissolving it. 
Well, speaking of DDP doing his own thing, he's in our main event tonight against Ric Flair. With seven minutes to spare. I didn't even think the match was going to happen because no. DDP comes out and Flair like sprints out and attacks him mid-entrance. He dumps Paige into the crowd and they're just like brawling around the outside. And by brawling, I mean Flair is just beating down DDP. He's oh, like yeah. back in any offense. And then they finally get in the ring. Match starts and DDP begs off. This sucker's Flair in and Paige hits his spinning neckbreaker. And then the match like really slows down. Yeah, for having no time left. This needs to be a quick match. Paige hits a back body drop and then a bang bang elbow drop. So I will call that going forward. Bang bang. It's yeah. It's his th- like he he thrusts and says bang each time. And you can't say bang bang without me thinking of mankind. We should bang be, bang. Should be thinking of Cactus Jack, but. Oh, I guess it is Cactus Jack. Whatever. Mick Foley. DDP gets a headlock in, and I'm like, guys, you're running out of time. Listen, I was watching the time for this the entire match. DDP keeps sneaking his feet onto the ropes, and Charles Robinson's like, hey, what are you doing? He's hey, like, no, nothing. You. Flair gets fired up, and they trade shots until Flair hits a big chop and then a back suplex. Flair dodges a discus clothesline and then hits a real blatant low blow. Charles Robinson is just letting, letting it go. <laughs> Hit a figure four to DDP. Sting then runs in. We get a figure four to Sting. Luger then comes in, hits Flair with a bat for a DQ. Hogan then comes in to make the save, but then Sting hits him with a baseball bat right in the knee. And that's pretty much the show. This wasn't a bad match for what, for when the match was there. It was kind of weirdly paced. It was. And I just, I, I don't mind that it was a DQ finish. I just hate the dog piling. It happened so much in this show in particular that it's just predictable and boring. Yeah, I'm guessing they're going to do Flair and DDP at Halloween Havoc. So I didn't expect much of a finish on this one. I guess not. Uh, thoughts on the show as a whole? I was pretty thoroughly impressed with this episode. There were some some dull moments and some lagging moments, but overall, really good show. Yeah, I mean, we we breezed through it pretty quickly. We really did. It, it, yeah, it wasn't a bad show. It just feels like it's treading water a little bit. And as we said before, it's like a six-week build. Like Six weeks! Yeah, it, it's too long. It, Way too long. In comparison to other shows that have like a three-day build where it's like the the episode before the pay-per-view it's like oh yeah by the way um this might happen yeah what (laughs) yeah and they're starting to set up some of the matches but um we'll see how the rest of the card kind of fills out as we go along we got three more nitros in between us and vince russo it's coming i feel like lord he coming i feel like there is a decent chance we get there and we're like fuck no wait go back we'll see Oh, God. But until then, let's go to best bit and MVP. Emily, what is your best bit? Oh, I'm giving it to the first match. I really loved that. The uh, the tag team match. And the, the build for the uh, the match next week, too. Like, it was just, it was a really good match. It's always a good time to see the cruiserweights at the very beginning opening the show. You know I love my Billy Kidman. Yeah, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go with the Eddie Guerrero-Perry Saturn match. Okay. Uh, I liked That's it fair. a little bit better, and I thought the finish was was clever enough and not. Yeah. I th- I thought the the build to the mask versus hair match was a bit messy for my liking. Oh, no, I liked it. But then let's go to MVP, which I ooh, I don't know that I really have one. But Emily, who do you got? After a lot of thinking and soul searching, I think I'm gonna give it to Goldberg, mostly for his promos. I just like him on the mic. I like when he talks. He was very coherent and concise. He said exactly what he needed to say. He didn't feel the need to fill time with his own voice he was just a good promo it was slim pickings if i'm honest yeah you know what there's there's one thing i'm gonna remember from this episode and i'm gonna give him my mvp there is a man on a quest and that man's name is scott steiner you are not giving it to Scott I am giving Steiner. it to Scott Steiner. For the laying down 20,000 women? For that specifically? Yes. You're and, disgusting. And just being completely unaware of... The, the fact that he can do that promo where he's disgusting and then doesn't know anything about the product and I still enjoy the promo, that, that's, that takes talent. Good lord. I can't respect you for that choice. I'm giving it to Scott Steiner. Disgusting. I'm giving it to woman number 20,000. No one wants to be that woman. (laughs) Well, assuming there is a next episode and Emily doesn't break up with me for that. (laughs) The next episode will be the September 27th, 1999 Monday Nitro. Until then, you can follow us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Butts in the Pod. 
and on Facebook at the Butts and Seats Podcast. Also listen to all our back catalog on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Emily, Emily, any, any closing thoughts before we head on out of here? Even though we know how the next match is going to end, I'm still excited for the hair versus mask match next week. Yes. So it's something to look forward to. Yeah, we actually have matches for next week. I know. <laughs> Crazy. Wild. Oh, and just a quick note, just to get you all a little hyped up, when we hit the October 18th episode, we'll be closing that episode out with a little bit of awards. Considering that'll be one year of actual WCW shows we'll have reviewed. It's almost been a full year. Yeah. Well, I, I, I consider Halloween Havoc the, the season premiere as opposed to the season finale. Okay, that's fair. I'll take that. Yeah, because you can't go Halloween Havoc to Halloween Havoc. So should we start calling it season two at the next Halloween Havoc? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe we should. It'll be fun. I don't even know what's coming. Good. But we still have some stops along the way. Until we get to there, I'm Nick. I'm Emily. And thanks for listening to the Buzz and Seats Podcast. Bye.